Good morning, church. Welcome to Preston Crest. It's great to see everyone here this morning. And we're thankful that each of you have chosen to worship with us, whether you're here in person or you're, you are here worshiping online. We are reminded by our video this morning that our country is honoring our veterans and current military members this weekend who continue to keep its citizens safe and secure. Words and messages that we should recognize including remembering, selfless, committed, disciplined, peace, freedom, hope, and complete sacrifice. As we honor our veterans, let's, let's go to Lord in prayer, thanking them for their service. Dear Father in heaven, we praise you, God, for your love for us, for your son, who you sent to live on this earth to teach those who were there to listen to him, whose words and life serve as an example to all of us, even to this day. Father, this weekend, we honor those American heroes who gave their life in service to this country. Today and each day, we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us, and we are thankful that he rose from the dead, conquering death, so that believers in him can live with you forever. We praise you for your perfect plan, foretold for generations and fulfilled by your son. And we thank you for your spirit, living within us and interceding on our behalf when we don't have the words, like for so many of this week with the events in Uvalde, in the weeks earlier in Buffalo, in the past few months in Ukraine, and we could go on. We mourn with those who mourn. We thank you for your creation, which you intended to be perfect, just as you are perfect. But our sin separates us from you, and we ask for your forgiveness, for we all sin and fall short. The sin that we see in this fallen world does not mean that you are not there and that you are not here. Forgive us when we are too distracted by the things of this world to be aware of your constant presence. This world needs to know about you and your son. Bless us as we take on the responsibility of sharing the gospel with this world by any means possible. Dear God, give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may know the hope to which you have called us and embolden us as we, in, we spread the good news about Jesus throughout the world you bless us to be part of and throughout the entire world. Let, us, let our love be genuine. Help us to hate what is evil and to cling what is good. Help us to love one another just as you have loved us. Help us to rejoice in hope, to be patient in difficulty, and to be constant in prayer. Help us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Help us to live in harmony with each other. Help us to, if, all, if at all possible, so far as it depends on us, to live peacefully with all. Dear Lord, help us to be strong and courageous, to not be frightened or dismayed, because you are with us wherever we go. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Again, we want to welcome you this morning. If you are visiting with us, we'd like to get to know you at the conclusion of our service. As we do each week, we'd ask our members and registered returning visitors to check in by texting the word, check in to 469-476-5331, and let us know who all has joined us, whether you're here in person or virtually. We are truly honored to have so many participate in our worship online. In fact, 
Just this last week, we went over 2,000 subscribers to our YouTube channel from all over the world. Technology has served this church and our world so well in our outreach to sharing the gospel. As you all know, we love our children here at Preston Crest. We love to provide a safe place where they can learn the sweet story of Jesus and remind them that they are loved. On June 7th, the Preston Crest children will go off-road to a monumental VBS adventure through the colorful canyons and sun-baked trails of the Southwest. That's a tongue-tire. Tongue By scoring God's awesomeness, kids will be given the tools they need to form a rock-solid faith for the road ahead. Registration continues. However, we currently need a few adults to be crew leaders and station leaders as well as the committee is asking for anyone who has the ability to decorate to join them this week as they transform this building into this monumental VBS environment. Additionally, they need folks to help with the snacks by donating some ingredients so the kids can uh, provide uh, fun snacks for all the kids this year. You can go to the website to sign up and all snack ingredients are due at, the, in, at this table uh, by June 5th so they can enjoy that uh, the week of the 7th. Today is our fifth Sunday uh, World Care offering opportunity to provide one-time support for specific re requests in our mission world. The recipients this month are Preston Crest Guatemalan mission trip that's occurring in July. Then these funds will go to help pay for much needed medicine, medical supplies, equipment rental, and clinical costs, as well as for the Cone Cane Bible Institute and for a church plant in Reno, Nevada. More information about these particular ministries are in your bulletin. As we continue our worship, hear these words from Psalms 33, verses 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. Let's worship. Church, let's stand and let's sing this morning. All hail the power of Jesus
as we uh, get ready for our time of communion this morning, we're going to sing one more song, and then Jacob Hawk will come and lead us around the bread and around the cup. I cast my
It's no secret that this weekend is a big weekend in our country as we remember those who didn't just give some, but those who gave everything. As we remember those who lost their lives serving our country. And I trust that we all realize and remember today that this is much more than a long weekend where we sit around with family and friends and sit by the grill or hop in the pool. This is a weekend to remember those who gave it all. A few months ago, I was blessed to take my 10-year-old son, Hayden, with me to Washington, D.C. for a few days for his 10th birthday. And while we were there, we made sure to visit Arlington National Cemetery, especially the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. If you've ever been to Arlington National Cemetery or the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, you know that that is a place of great respect and honor and reverence and in many ways silence. And watching the changing of the guard is an image that you'll never forget. And I wanted to make sure that my son saw that at a young age so that he could remember it the rest of his life. I always think about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier Memorial Day weekend, but more specifically, I think about how it compares to what we do every Lord's Day as we gather to memorialize, to remember our Savior, Jesus Christ. But there are a few very big differences between the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and the Lord's Supper. On the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier are the words, Here lies in American glory a soldier but known to God. Here lies in American glory a soldier but known to God. What are the differences? Well, as we gather to remember the Lord Jesus, this is not a meal that is remembered in American glory. This is a meal remembered in God's glory. We also realize that our Savior, Jesus, does not rest in the tomb. Our Savior, Jesus, is very much alive. And he came to earth and he died, but he rose again just as he promised that he would. But I think the biggest difference between the tomb of the unknown soldier and our gathering together around the Lord's Supper. This is not a soldier. This is a Savior. And this Savior is not just known to God. Rather, this Savior so badly wants to be known by all people. He wants to be in a covenant relationship with each and every one of us. He doesn't want us to have to travel to some special place once a year to see him. He wants to live in us day by day and change our life from the inside out. 
And every week we gather together and we commune and we remember his body and we partake of his blood. But as we commune, we aren't just communing with each other. More importantly, we are communing with God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, a very different type of soldier, one who is not concerned with weapons, but one who is concerned with spiritual warfare. Father, we thank you that we can remember him, we can memorialize him, but Father, we are most thankful that we are not remembering and memorializing a Savior who is still dead. We are remembering and memorializing a Savior who is alive, who wants to know us, and who wants us to know him. Father, thank you for his body on the cross. Thank you for this bread, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, as we read in your word in the Old Testament and as we see portrayed in real life in the New Testament, Father, we know that there is indeed life in the blood. 
And Father, we thank you for the blood that your son shed for us on the cross. We thank you for every drop that fell to the ground and falls into our lives through your grace and through your mercy. Father, help us never to forget the importance of this moment, what it means, how it draws us together, and most importantly, how it draws us to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Preston Crest family. Good morning, visitors. So glad that you're here. Happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody. If you are wondering how you can give this morning, you can do that through the website. There's a give button there or through church teams or just drop your check or money in the box out in the foyer. We are so glad that you're here. Um, I want to remind you that uh, our members that today is a fifth Sunday, so it is a World Care Sunday. World Care is pretty neat, honestly. We just kind of kind of look out for opportunities that God's going to bring before us over the year, and then we respond to those in a special way through World Care. This is one of those Sundays, and one of the good causes that'll go to is this Guatemala mission trip that's coming up. A lot of you guys be involved in that, and we go and we just bless folks down in Guatemala. We change lives down there by the power of God through medical clinics and other things. And so uh, give generously this year to that, uh, to, I mean this world care to that and to other causes that are part of it. Let's pray right now. Oh God, it's been, um, it's been a week and uh, our hearts burden with those who've lost someone this week. We are outraged and saddened by another school shooting. We cry out to you. We pray for your tender mercies upon those affected. We pray for wisdom for leaders. And God, I, I'm grateful as your, as your servant, God, that you give us opportunities to shine in moments like this, to reflect, to reflect your glory and your love and your grace. And I pray that you will fill us with your spirit as we minister to those around us who are hurting. God, I'm thankful for days like this where we can give to world care, to, to real ministries to help real people, some living in misery and brokenness. We're able to, to reach out in your name and offer a word and offer real help to those in need. So bless our work in the Dallas-Fort Worth mission field and beyond. 
And may everything that we do as disciples of Jesus point to him and point to the story of the gospel. We pray this in the name of the one who saved us. Amen. Hey, wanted to remind you that we are tying prayer quilts today out in the uh, south end of the foyer. That's the north end over there, so north end of the foyer uh, for Betty Harris and for Mona Farrell. So please stop by there and, and tie a knot and, and take those names with you this week and keep them on your prayer list. I want to call uh, attention also to our youth interns this, uh, this summer, Abby Masters and Johnny Knighton. Big Johnny, there he is right there. I say, where's Abby? Abby, wave at me. Abby's not here? Okay. We love Abby. Love her picture, by the way. Abby's one of our own. Abby is from Harding, and Johnny comes to us from uh, Aggies for Christ. So we're going to be praying for you, brother. Love you. Love you. Glad you're here. Hey, let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. We'll sing one more, and Gordon's going to come share with us this morning. Let the King of my heart be the to have Johnny with us from Aggie Land. God loves Aggies, loves Longhorns, loves Sooners. He loves all types of people. So we're glad to have you. Yeah, we're glad to have you with us, brother. And already just getting to know what a joy that you have, and God is going to use you big time this summer. We're going to be continuing our Dear Lord series this morning. If you want to follow along, we'll be in Mark chapter 4. Great, great story. Jesus and the disciples, they're going to cross the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. What could go wrong? On that day, when evening had come, Jesus, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. 
And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, in the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, his disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. So just a couple of bits before we kind of dive into the text this morning. First, you might be asking, I thought this was a prayer series. Where is the prayer? And good for you. It's a little hard to spot there, but it's in there. It's when the disciples say to their Lord and Savior, don't you care? And maybe you have offered a prayer like that in a similar moment of desperation, don't you care? Where are you, Lord? Why are you allowing me to pass through this? Maybe you have prayed a prayer like that. I have. And by the way, over the centuries, many great women and men of faith, some of them heroes of faith in the Bible, have prayed very similar prayers. They look at at the news, they look at what's going on in the world around them, or maybe just in their own homes, and they say, don't you care? Why aren't you acting, Lord? Great man of faith named Habakkuk, a prophet of God, he wrote in his, in his, in his prayer, in his book to the Lord, in his writings, he, he sees stuff going on around him that's just wrong. There's violence against innocent people. We see that in our world. He saw corruption. He saw injustice. What he didn't see was the move of God. And so he cried out to God in the first chapter of Habakkuk. He said, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you you will not hear. I cry to you, violence! And you don't save. How long do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Why aren't you doing anything? It's raw. It's honest. That's a, that's a prayer of faith. A very honest expression of this is what I see in the world. Why are you sitting by and doing nothing, Lord? And maybe you have prayed like that before. It's an honest complaint. In Mark chapter 4, that's essentially what we got. They feel like they're drowning and Jesus is taking a cat nap. Why aren't you doing anything, Lord? 
Another thing, as we read Scripture, anytime really we read Scripture, and maybe you're doing the readings with us as we go through the Bible this year, we always want to know first and foremost, what is the Word of God saying to those who originally received the message? Okay? What were they hearing? What were they feeling? We want to do that. We want to do that before we jump into our lives and start making easy applications. We want to make applications to our lives, but first we need to know what the Word of God was actually saying to those people in the boat. Okay? And in a story like this, it's so tempting, right? It's so tempting to, to latch on to a verse like verse 36 that talks about Jesus and the disciples leaving the crowd. Oh, we need to leave the crowd so that we can be with Jesus. Um, yeah, but that's not the point of this text. Or, notice how Jesus calms the storms of life. Yeah, Jesus can do that. That's not really what's going on in the text. Like, I, I assure you, when they got to the other side safely, and, and, and John and Peter were stepping out of the boat, John didn't turn to Peter and say, Hey, Pete, isn't that neat how Jesus calms the storms of life? That wasn't their takeaway. Mark tells us their takeaway had, had to do with the identity of Jesus. Their last words were, Who does this? Like, who is this guy in the boat with us who talks to the weather? And they were greatly afraid at the end of this story because of Jesus and because of what he had just done. So we want to we hear what the Word is really saying uh, before we jump into our convenient life applications, don't we? So what's really going on? In Mark chapter 4, Jesus and his crew, they had been so busy, so active, interacting with the crowds. Morning till dusk, you know, healing the sick, teaching the word, uh, expulsing demons from people's lives, just morning to night, and they were worn out state of exhaustion. So Jesus is like, hey, let's get on the boat. Let's go to the other side, about an eight-mile trip to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Let's get away from the crowds for a time. Sometimes Jesus took them to the crowds. Sometimes Jesus took them out of the crowds. Here it was time to get away from the crowds, time to hit the pause button, time to leave the chaos behind. So he tells them to get in the boat. They do that, and they are crossing the Sea of Galilee, if you noticed, in the middle of the night. And a number of these guys were professional fishermen. Not only that, they professionally fished the Sea of Galilee. Right? This was their workplace. This was routine. This was no big deal. Until it was. <laughs> and isn't that the way life happens sometimes? I mean, you are in your comfort zone. It is smooth sailing. You've got your routine going on. And then something interrupts it. The situation changed so dramatically when this severe storm started in the middle of the night on the Sea of Galilee. Verse 37. A great wind storm. Now, we all know what it's like to go through some storms, don't we? 
It's one thing to be in the relative safety of your home. And you may get a little bit nervous, like great windstorm and thunderstorm in Texas, and maybe some of the, sh- the, the, the tiles, the shingles on the roof are going to come off. You may wonder, as those windows rattle, is that glass just going to burst and give way? I mean, if it's really bad. You may wonder about the car parked out in front of your house. Is it going to get some hail damage? Generally, you're not worried, are we going to make it through the night? They were in the middle of the lake when this great windstorm arose. Scary stuff. And this boat that they're on, I mean, I want you to imagine, you know, about 27, 28 feet long, maybe 7 or 8 feet wide. We know this because we have found recently a Galilean fishing boat from the first century. You can visit it. They call it the Jesus Boat. Probably not the same boat, but probably the same type of boat. It wasn't that big, and there were 13 grown men crammed on board this boat, and the storm hit, and that thing was lurching left to right, heaving up and down, kind of like a mechanical bull. And I picture, as I imagine the scene that Mark paints, there are some of them frantically bailing water because we're told the boat was, was, was filling up. Some of them bailing water, some of them were rowing, some of them were trimming the sail. You know, they didn't need the sail when that windstorm hit. And all, honestly, it's almost comical when all of a sudden you take your gaze off of all of this frantic activity and you spot Jesus in the back of the boat, asleep. And what a beautiful detail. This is the kind of thing you get from a first-hand account like this. His head was on a cushion. They're going crazy. They're scared to death. Hope you're enjoying the nap with your head on the comfy pillow, right? And so they go to Jesus, and what do they do? They wake him up, and they say, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? By the way, yeah, I got loud. There's a lot of yelling in this story. (laughs) They're yelling at Jesus. I mean, they had to have been yelling over all of that noise from the waves and the wind. And the weather was kind of yelling, metaphorically speaking. And Jesus starts yelling at the weather. There's a lot of yelling going on in this story. And then Jesus shouts, quiet down! And everything turned on that word from Jesus. There was, according to Mark, a quote-unquote great calm No more wind. No wind at all. The sea is still as a sheet of glass. Dead still. And Jesus turns toward his disciples, the guys who just woke him up. And he says, So why are you so afraid? Tell me about that. And and where is your faith? Aren't you supposed to be men of faith? 
Those are his questions for his disciples. And at the end of the account, we see why it is incomplete, inadequate, and inaccurate to to walk away from this going, yeah, Jesus calms the storms of life because the final thing that we are told by the Bible is the disciples are turning to each other, their takeaway, their conclusion, they're turning to each other going, who is this? Who is Jesus? And Mark says, they were greatly afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of him. The one who had been napping. And who suddenly, maybe with bedhead, turns to the storm, the weather, and gives it orders. I mean, the takeaway... And Mark 4 has more to do than anything clearly with the identity of that person, Jesus. That question, who is Jesus? And then application, who is Jesus for me? Who is Jesus for you? He yells, quiet down. In Mark 1, 25, he yells that to demons. And they shut up. And Mark records that those demons in chapter 1 knew who Jesus was. He says the same thing. Quiet down to the weather in chapter 4. And we see that the weather knows who Jesus is. Demons obey his voice. The wind and the rain obeys his voice. He commands the spirit world. He commands the natural world. Thus the question, who is this? Now before Jesus came into the world, we've got four centuries of silence. We've got the end of the Old Testament in Malachi. We've got the beginning of the New Testament in Matthew. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Four centuries of silence. No prophetic words from God. Four centuries of no discernible moves of God. No miraculous things happening in the world. In fact, it was just kind of something that, that older generations talk about. Way back in the day, God did this, God did that. But God hadn't been doing anything for a long time as far as they could tell. And then, Jesus. He showed up. By the way, you go back 400 plus years before this story, into the time of the Old Testament, and you begin to ask, like, okay, who's in control of the weather? Who orders around raging seas and tells them to be quiet? Psalm 65, O God of our salvation, the one, the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, the one who stills the roaring of the seas. The one who stills the roaring of their waves. Who are we talking about here? God. The great I am, Yahweh. That's who is the one 
who controls the weather. Psalm 89, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you? Love that question. We get another, who is this? Who is mighty as you, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea. And when its waves rise, you still them. Who does this? God does this. We're told in Mark 134, the demons knew who Jesus was. And we see in Mark 4, the weather knew who Jesus was. He was God. Creator of all things. The sovereign of the universe. God was in the boat with them on that day. And it scared them. Jesus was kind of a different sort of weatherman, wasn't he? I appreciate our weathermen and weatherwomen, our weather people today on TV. Thank you, Pete Delkus, for helping me know how much sunscreen to wear, what the temperature is going to be tomorrow, whether or not it's going to rain. Sometimes you're right. <laughs> By the way, I would love to have a job where I can say, tomorrow, chance of rain, 60% chance. I mean, you love it. It's like chance of rain. As an expert, I can tell you, coin toss. But Jesus isn't just trying to predict the weather. He's telling the weather what to do. He's a different kind of weatherman, isn't he? And now I think we're ready to step back from this firsthand account and talk a little bit about what this has to say to us today. Like for starters... It's pretty clear that even when Jesus is in the boat, you may encounter a storm. And I bet a lot of us could say, yes, been there, done that. Even when you have an intimate relationship with the Lord, you may experience some severe weather in life. Who had a closer relationship to the Lord than these 12? Nobody on the planet, at least. No human beings. Who knew him better? Who walked with him more? Who had prayed more with Jesus than the twelve? And yet, even though they were so close to Jesus and knew him so well, and he was literally right there on the boat with them, they went through a pretty significant storm. And wouldn't it be nice if being close to Jesus... Wouldn't it be nice if, if being next to Jesus meant smooth sailing? No marriage problems, no health scares, kids behave, your stock portfolio is always going up and never going down. Wouldn't that be nice? But that's not the way it works. But I'll tell you something. They didn't go through the storm alone, did they? He went through it with them. And he goes through our storms with us. If you have lost someone or are losing someone, if you've had a major change in your employment situation or your school situation, or you've gotten a diagnosis recently, you're not going through it alone. Lo, I'm with you till the very end. 
of the age. He's with you today, tomorrow, whatever happens, whatever storm, he's with you. He may have, <laughs> he may have put them in the boat that was headed into the middle of the storm. That, that may be true. I think that is true. But he also rode through that storm with his friends. And so just know this, whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're going to face tomorrow, he's with you. He's near. Another thing, we may not like this, but it's true. Another thing is that in the storms of our lives, we get to know Jesus on a deeper level. There are things we're going to experience about the Lord, things we're going to come to know about him that we would not otherwise know unless we go through a storm with him. Clearly, at the end of the story, the disciples have a much greater sense of who he is. They have questions, yes, but they have a greater reverence and awe at the end of this than they did at the beginning and so, verse 40, Jesus turns to us and asks us the same question he asked them. Basically, have faith. Where is your faith? How about you find that and start leaning into that? Check this out. Two features of the story. One is about the identity of Jesus. One is about the importance of having faith. And they could not go together more naturally. It's a marriage made in heaven. The identity of Jesus and our faith in Jesus. Because faith always depends on the object of that faith. Like you can have faith and it's not worth anything if you have faith in the wrong thing or the wrong person, right? So a disciple, we're growing our faith in Jesus, we're not growing our faith in a political party or a political cause. We're building our faith not in our portfolio or our intelligence or our creativity or our abilities. We're growing our faith in Jesus. That's what a disciple does. By the way, you'll never catch me skydiving I know it's something some of you have done. Um, I'm, I'm afraid of heights, so not interested. No thanks. But I'll say this. Like, let's say that you found a deal, maybe a Groupon or something, and you decide to take your significant other skydiving. Let's do it. It's a great deal. And you go out to the airfield, and you find that your instructor, who clearly you're meeting for the very first time, is an 11-year-old kid. Um, okay, I expected somebody a little older maybe. Do you really know what you're doing? And little Billy tells you, I, I think so. I've never been skydiving, but I've watched a couple of YouTube videos. So I think I got a handle on this. I, I've seen kind of some basics about packing a chute. You know, what, what altitude you want to jump out of the plane, what speed. So I think we're good. Look, it's not faith if you get in that plane with Billy. That's foolishness. No offense, Billy. But the object of your faith is what determines the worth of your faith. The object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should put our faith in Jesus 
He has dominion in the spirit realm. He has power and sovereignty in the natural realm. Demons tremble at his commands. The weather stops trembling at his command. He is worthy of your faith. Who else walked a lonely road to his own crucifixion? And gave his life for your redemption. Jesus did that. Only Jesus did that. He is completely worthy of your faith. And I just want us as disciples to grow in our faith. As we recognize his lordship in every situation, every storm, every circumstance of life, that he can actually speak and shape reality according to his wisdom, and we trust that. And so we follow Jesus. Faith, follow Jesus, means we do something. We follow Jesus. It doesn't mean faith that we are completely passive, right? I mean, we do our part. We use our gifts. We use our money, We use our relationships and our opportunities to bring glory to him. We do that. But our reliance isn't on anything that we bring to the table. Our reliance is on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's on him. Which gets us back to prayer. It's why we pray. Was it wrong that the disciples are bailing water? Was it wrong that they were trying to row as quick as they could to the other side? Was it wrong that they were trimming the sails? No. They were doing what they could. But the best thing they did was clearly waking Jesus up. It was clearly inviting him into their situation. And so, yeah, we do our part, but we rely on his part. We rely on God to show up. And that question they asked there at the end, Lord, don't you care? Yes. He cares very much. He demonstrated that on the cross. Nobody cares about you more than Jesus. Nobody loves you more than the Lord Jesus. And so, we're not alone We talk to Jesus, we call out to him, and that would be the first invitation this morning. Will you do that, whatever that situation, obstacle, challenge, or celebration that you have before you, will you call on the name of the Lord? Will you bring Jesus into that place? And maybe this morning, for you, it is crossing that line of faith, and it's confessing your faith in Jesus publicly, confessing your faith, repenting of your sins. That just means, I know, Lord, my life needs to change. Help me with that. I'm determined, I'm committed to turning my life over to you and your plans instead of following my plans. And a faith step that Christians have been taking for centuries It involves water, not near as scary as Mark 4, but involves stepping into water and being baptized in the name of Jesus. And maybe that's what you need to do this morning. 
where we're going to finish today is we're going to vocalize who we believe Jesus is. And I hope this is not just in a generic sense, but I hope you will confess this over your life as we stand and worship right now. Great.
grateful that you are here this morning worshiping our Father. And it's a great reminder from Gordon that it's not if the storms of life hit, it's when, and knowing that Jesus is always in the boat. So we're thankful for that message and that reminder. Uh, speaking of reminders, our evening service tonight at 6 p.m., um, Jacob Hawk will be continuing our series on the DNA of the church, a study of Ephesians. And he'll be bringing a message about the beautiful partnership between Jesus and the church. So come back at 6 o'clock for that. And also the uh, prayer quilt, if you'll t- uh, go out to the north side of the foyer and, and sign and pray over uh, Betty and Mona, uh, that would be much appreciated. The take-home verse for today comes from Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, and if you'll read it with me. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Have a great day.